those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But when Mary... But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. I hope that story never gets old. I hope I never miss the wonder of a God who appeared in such a humble circumstance. I wonder sometimes why, if you had a plan and you created the earth and you saw that the earth was in desperate need of rescuing and you came up with a plan to send your son into the earth to rescue all of humanity, how would you do it? Where would you send them? Would you pick the most influential city in the world? Would you pick parents that had the resources to literally uh, uh, promote him? God didn't. He showed up to shepherds. He showed up to a humble family in a humble circumstance. He sent his son as a baby. I think sometimes about why a baby. Because, uh, I don't know, maybe I've seen too many movies. But uh, I can imagine lightning striking and then Jesus does like the superhero drop. Lands, you know, on one knee. The earth rumbles. He's already 33 years old. His hair's flowing, you know. And it's like, bam, here he is. But then I think about the reaction that people would have had to that. So many reactions. Maybe some would have fear. Maybe some would be terrified and worried. You know what no one was ever terrified of? Except for the actual parents, a baby. 
right? <laughs> and so here's God saying, in a gentle, humble circumstance, I've come for you. I've come for all of you. So I love the story. I get excited about Christmas. And, uh, you know, welcome to our first ever 10 a.m. Christmas Eve service. Who knows? This is awesome. We'll try it and see what happens. But, uh, but I am uh, really excited that you're here. I was thinking how this is not part of any of my Christmas tradition, to be in service at 10 a.m. on Saturday and uh, doing Christmas Eve service at that time. And I was thinking about how many Christmas traditions people have nowadays. We have so many Christmas traditions. We do things like get trees, we get mistletoes, we put stars on trees, we put lights out, we put nativity scenes up, we go shopping, we do elf on the shelf, we go see Santa and take a picture. Uh, we do all, we go, we pay money to drive around and look at, Christmas lights. I mean, we just do so many things as part of our Christmas traditions. I was thinking some of the early Christmas traditions I had and uh, certain times with certain family members. And if you have had uh, maybe a, a, a complex family situation, Christmas can be pretty complicated in traditions. Different sides of the family have different traditions, have different expectations. I remember when Christine and I were first married, we found that suddenly we had five Christmas events to attend between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day because we had family that was fractured and couldn't come to the same place, come on now, to do Christmas together without going to war. So we would hop from family to family. And it's like you would show up at the family and you'd start the timer. We've got two hours here. We have to eat, open presents, and watch, you know, a Christmas story. And then, and then we've got to leave at exactly this time because we're in California and there's traffic. And we have to get to this place. And then when we get there, we've got two out, you know. And, and the Christmas just got so complex and complicated. And there's all these traditions. And, and it suddenly became about making people happy. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You get to the end of the Christmas season and you start dealing with fallout over people who are grumpy that somehow you didn't meet an expectation or somehow something went wrong. And I'll never forget, we came back from college. We had been married for a couple of years and one of our family members had actually changed the time and date of when they were, and, and we had like a system and we had five Christmases to get to when we came to town and they changed it. And they're like, well, this is the tradition. And we're like, that's not the old tradition. And we can't make a new tradition because we're already over here. And it's just tension. And sometimes I'm worried that in the midst of all the things we have to do and all the traditions and all the stuff, we could just miss Christmas. We could just miss it. We could get all our traditions in and miss Christmas. We can get to go see the lights. We can get the Christmas lights up and down. We could get all the presents wrapped. We can do all of the stuff. We can move the little elf around. We got pictures with Santa, whatever it is. We did all the stuff, but we could miss Christmas. So this morning for just a little while, I want to talk about how to not miss Christmas. And what's interesting to me is as I've been in the Christmas story out of Matthew, out of Luke, even John, and just stu studying and spending time in the Christmas story and some of the history, I realize that the same things that caused people to miss Christmas 2020 plus years ago are the same principles that can cause us to miss Christmas today. And so I'm going to just quickly walk us through some of, the, some of the reasons that people missed Christmas 2,000 years ago. The first one is this. They were unavailable. They were unavailable. 
They missed Christmas because they were unavailable. This was the innkeeper's problem. This was the innkeeper's problem. We just read the story. There was no room in the inn. It was busy. In those days, Caesar Augustus, we learned about him last week. He issued a decree and there was a census and people were coming home who didn't live at home. And so the innkeeper had big business going on. It was the first Black Friday rush, right? (laughs) Everything was sold out and he was busy. He was making money. There was profit to be had. His busyness in his business caused him to miss a couple that showed up and said, hey, we're having a baby. He's like, I got no room. I got no room. I think this happens to us too. Our routines, our stuff, the houses we have to get to, the work we have to get done. I was thinking for the first 18 years of our marriage, my wife always worked retail. And so she, she worked for years and years and years in retail. So the Christmas season, if you've ever worked retail, it's so busy. It's so crazy. I can remember year after year after year fighting for time at Christmas, fighting for any time, getting called in, having to work Black Friday, and then all of a sudden Thursday was black too, and then Saturday was black, and there was like 25 days of black days where everybody's just fighting it out for Christmas stuff, and, and business was good. I was a good, I mean, we were making money, and we, schedules were busy and crazy. But in the midst of all of that, you could miss it. You could miss it. I was thinking about the innkeeper's story. I was thinking how how fascinating it is. If you think about, he was so busy that he didn't have room for Jesus, right? But if you think about it, if he had been tuned in to what was happening, if he had understood the weight of what was going on, he missed, and this is funny, it's my mind works, he missed the best marketing opportunity of all time <laughs> to be able to put up a sign and say, Jesus was born here. Hey, we'd like to stay at the inn. Which room would you have? Uh, we'll have the Jesus suite. Oh, it's booked until next Christmas, right? I mean, like, <laughs> that's an amazing opportunity. But we get so busy that we miss the opportunity that Jesus coming into our world brings us. It never takes away. It always brings life. It brings hope. He brings hope. It's pretty funny how we walk into, I mean, everywhere I've gone this week has been like an absolute fight. I don't know about you. Just trying to drive on Meridian, a war. You need something from Walmart, two wars, right? I mean, forget about it, right? You want to go to lunch? War number three, right? It's just everywhere has been busy. People have been going and going and going and going and going. And it would be so easy. It would be so easy to just be unavailable and miss Christmas. 2,020 years ago, it was easy. Today, it's easy. Don't be so busy. Hear your pastor that you miss Christmas, that you miss it. Second reason. Moving quickly, I told you I'd get you out of here on time. The second reason that people miss Christmas and we still miss it today is we're unaware. We're unaware. We're unaware of what's happening and how important it is. You know who had this problem? The religious leaders at that time had this problem. If you remember last week, Herod meets the wise men 
And the wise men say, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? And Herod has no idea. He's the king. He has no idea. He's the gatekeeper to the history, to the culture of the Jewish people. He has no idea. So he brings in the religious leaders. He brings in the prophets. He brings in the scribes. Well, they prophets. They bring in the scribes, the learned people. He brings in all of those people. And he says, hey, tell me about this story. Because these wise men have shown up. They've seen a star. Something's happening in history. Where is it supposed to take place? He wakes them up. He drags them to the palace. He's greatly disturbed. When he's greatly disturbed, people tend to die. So they show up and they pay attention to the king who's greatly disturbed, saying, what is this about someone being born king of the Jews? And they say, oh, we know that prophecy. Of course we do. It's some 700 years old from the book of Micah. It's obviously, of course, in Isaiah also. And they read to him from the scrolls. I'm in Matthew chapter two, verse three says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Of course they would be. When he called together all the peoples, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and then asked them, where was Christ to be born? They're like in Bethlehem, in Judea. I'll stop right there for a second. They knew where the story was supposed to take place. The king is deeply concerned. All of Jerusalem is now awakened because when the king, again, is disturbed, heads tend to roll. Now, here's a piece of the story that's fascinating to me. They give him the information. They say, hey, Bethlehem. We talked about this last week. You know how far Bethlehem was? Five to six miles away. It's a five to six mile walk from where they're at to Bethlehem. They give that information to the wise men. And then Herod hatches the plot and tells the wise men, hey, when you find the baby, tell me. When you find the one who was born, tell me. And I'll come worship him too. And we know that that was hogwash. But here's what we don't see. Where are the chief priests, the teachers, and the scribes? They've been woken up. They've been told that potentially, at least, that the, the, the savior of the world, the Messiah has been born, the consolation of Israel, the one that we, that we know some in the temple were waiting for, they find that this has happened and it's five miles away and nobody goes. None of them go with the wise men. None of them say, hey, can we tag along? This might be important. They're professional church people. <laughs> Did you catch that? They're the pros. Their whole life for some of them is dedicated to literally just writing the scriptures perfectly. They have many of them, the first five books of the Bible memorized. They're in on the story of God. It's their culture. It's their God. And none of them go on the five mile journey to see what's up. None of them take the trip. They're unaware that something amazing has happened. They know the story, they're church folks. But they look at their lives and they got church stuff to do. They got service next weekend. They got tables to move, chairs to move, come on. They got stuff to do. Church folks, I'm talking to us. We can be in the middle of the season celebrating the truth of what God did. And it could be all in here and not in here. 
and it can't, it could, we could miss it driving us to meet Jesus. It could be an intellectual pursuit of the knowledge of, oh, so he was born, oh, I learned something. Bethlehem's only six miles, five, six miles away from Jerusalem. That's awesome, we learned. And we could get it all in our heads and go, that's awesome, and miss taking the journey to meet Jesus, spend time with him, be there in his presence. It baffles me. The more I thought about this, I literally, I couldn't handle it. I, how could they not go? How could at least one of them not say, hey, Herod, is it cool if I go with the wise men? Can I travel? They're following a star. We've never seen this before in history. Something's happened. The level of complacency. You see, last week we talked about the wonder, the awe-inspiring wonder of God so loving the world that he sends his only son. It was lost. You can be inundated with knowing about God and miss the wonder of knowing God. The Christmas season, you can miss it. You could read the Christmas story to your family on Christmas Eve and miss that it's about knowing God, not just knowing about him. It's not just up here. It's here. It's relational. I think sometimes... And we can know a lot about God and just be unaware of what he's doing. Unaware that he's loving people, changing hearts. We can look at all the data and make decisions thinking, oh, he must this, he must that. And just miss, when the last time you just talked, spent time. Spent time in prayer, spent time connecting with God. I'm busy, there's stuff going on. It's just Christmas, we've been here before. What happens to guys to people who get this way. I like Paul says it this way, Ephesians chapter four, verse 18. He's talking about church folks who have missed Jesus. He says they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. It is possible to know all about God and still have a hard heart and still not be soft, still not be connected. They let their hearts get hardened and they miss the hope and life that God wanted to give. It's why it was so hard for them to accept that Jesus wasn't coming on some military campaign to overthrow Rome, that he was literally bringing heaven to earth so that we could connect with our father. They just had an idea of what it should be and they missed who he is. When Paul writes his first letter to Timothy, he wraps up the letter and he's talking about how Timothy's gonna run into people who know a lot, but they miss it. 1 Timothy 6.21, by saying they have that, quote, knowledge, some have missed the true faith. Grace be with you. Paul says, hey, knowing God isn't just an intellectual pursuit. God doesn't want just for you to know about him. He wants for you to know him. The Christmas story was personal. And if you're unaware that this is personal, then you'll miss it. They missed it. They were pros. They knew way more than any of us. They, they lived in the church world. They knew way more. They, I don't, if you can't quote the first five books, 
of the Bible verbatim, you're not on their level. Sometimes we mess, mess around and we're like, oh, they were ignorant. They were dumb. They were, you know what? They were committed. They knew their stuff. They just didn't know Jesus. Is a five-mile journey too far this Christmas season for you? Is it is taking a step, saying, God, I'm going to make some time for you. Is that too far? Could we miss it? It's about who we know, not just what we know. It's cool to know things. I'm not saying don't know things. Don't hear me say, hey, the best way to follow Jesus is to know nothing. <laughs> not saying that. I'm certainly not saying that. I'm saying you could have all the head knowledge in the world and miss meeting the Savior. What's crazy is the wise men, why were they wise? Did they know more about the scriptures than these religious folks? They did not. They had to ask. Herod didn't know. They didn't know. They simply were willing to go on the journey to meet Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that they're wise. I want to be wise. I want you to be wise. The third way and the third reason that sometimes we miss Christmas. We're unwilling. We're unwilling. Let me read the end of Matthew 2, piece of the story here that's important. Unwilling was King Herod's problem. Unwilling was King Herod's problem. Matthew 2, 12. And having been warned in a dream, these are the wise men, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is gonna search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt when they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and older, uh, old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was filled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go up to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Herod wanted the baby dead. Why? He was unwilling. He wasn't unaware. He got the information, but he was unwilling to have his life rocked by the presence of Jesus. He was comfortable. He'd worked hard. We talked about this last week. He'd worked hard to solidify his power. He'd worked hard to solidify his position. He'd worked hard to get his life functioning the way he wanted to function. He'd conquered his enemies. He had hit a level of self-ability uh, that he could rely on, and he was done having anyone challenge him for control of his life. He was unwilling. He heard the story, and he believed the story. But he said, I'd rather kill that baby than change my life. I heard one person say it this way, and it was kind of creepy, but it's true. You either kill the baby or you let the baby kill your, you. Change you, kill your old self, die to your old self, and become new. It's like, ooh, that's brutal. 
but I won't forget it. And here's Herod. And he's saying, hey, I got this thing on lockdown. I have control. I have a system. I have a thing that works for me. I know when I go to work. Come on now. I know my schedule. I got my budget locked in. I got my extracurriculars. I have all my stuff. I know I golf on Thursday. I got ladies Bible study on Tuesday. Like I don't need anything coming in and messing with my world. He was unwilling to have his world rocked. We do this all the time today. We get to the story, we get to Christmas, and we hear it's personal. God wants time with you, and you go, oh, you don't understand. I like where my world's at right now. Or even if I don't, I'm worried about what that might mean. What would it mean to personally connect with Jesus? What things are in my life right now that might have to go? What if I really enjoy those things? What if I hate the things that are in my life right now, but I can't deal with them? What if fear has gotten in or shame? And I understand that, but I don't want to face it. The Christmas story forces us to decide, are we willing to meet Jesus? Everyone who met Jesus left something behind and left changed. Every single one of them. We called this series, Let It Be Christmas, because of Mary's words to the angel that alerted her of the coming Messiah. In Luke 1.35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, for she who was barren is in her sixth month. Verse 37, For nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be, or let it be, to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. How do you respond when Jesus is presented, when you have an opportunity to meet Jesus? Are you saying, let it be, or are you unwilling? Because 2,000 years ago, there was a lot of people who were unwilling, and they missed it. Today, there's a lot of people who are unwilling. They've heard the story. They've been introduced up here, and they got questions. I got questions. I'm not sure. How does this, 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 how does this? And the only question that matters is, are you unwilling? Or are you willing? You know, I heard a story as I was studying, and it just changed my whole perspective. I'm going to share it with you, and, and then we'll, we'll close here in just a moment, about just the depth of the rescue mission. I told you, I've said over and over again in the series, I've been just struck by the fact that this is a rescue mission. And I heard a pastor, he was talking, and he, he, he had been on a cruise, and he was cruising the Atlantic. He was on a vacation, he was cruising the Atlantic. And as they were cruising the Atlantic, they crossed the place where the Titanic approximately had sunk. And as a result, the captain went on deck and said, anyone who'd like to, I'll give a little you know, talk about the Titanic and what happened in, in those moments. So this man had gone, and you know, the captain does his thing, and he talks about just the amount of life that was lost and the things that had happened to cause that, that catastrophe. And someone at the end, he, the captain said, any questions? And someone raised his hands and said, I have a question for you. I said, okay. I said, here's my question. Why didn't the Navy mobilize the moment they knew there was an issue? And then why didn't they attempt 
a rescue and salvage mission immediately. Because what if there were some people who had found air pockets, who had been trapped? And, and what if there was some hope to save a life? And the captain dismissed his question out of hand. He said, oh, there's no way. There's no way. The answer is easy. It was too deep and it would have been too expensive to attempt what you're talking about. It was too deep and it would have been too expensive was the captain's reply. And I was struck by that story because the reality is this. When God sent his son to rescue us, this Christmas story, there was no depth that was too deep. And there was no price that was too expensive for you and for me. And I'm struck, I'm struck by this picture. I'm gonna just give you this picture. And, and in just a moment, I'm gonna have you get your candles out. But I, I, I'm struck by this picture. I'm struck by this picture of so many lives. Potentially, if you think about what it would have been like to have been trapped in a, in a small space and, and figured out a way to survive. And here's a mission that God sends his son into the earth to rescue us. Yet so often we find ourselves in survival mode. And we figured out a pocket of air to survive in. A way to kind of make the world work enough so that we can just survive. And God's like, that's not what Christmas was for. It wasn't so you could just barely survive. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. He came on a rescue mission. You're like, oh, you don't understand the price. You don't understand how, how much damage I've done while I've been here on earth. You don't understand how much I've messed up. And, and God's saying, there's no price. That was too high. There's no price. I sent my son for you. That's how valuable you are to me. Well, you don't understand the depth. You don't understand how far I've gone. There's no depth. That was too far. God wants to rescue you. There's no depth that was too high, too far, and no cost that was too high. So here's what we're going to do. If you have your candles, I want you to take them out. For some of you this morning, this Christmas season, you're the rescued. You've been rescued. The mission was accomplished. God sent his son in to the world for you. You met him, and now your job is to be what the scriptures tells us that we are, to be a light here on the earth for others who have not yet been rescued, who are living in a bubble of survival that isn't God's best for them. That's who you are. For some of us, we've been in survival mode for too long. We've figured out how to make our life work. We've been too busy, unaware, or unwilling to let the Christmas story intercept our lives. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So when it comes to this time of year, we like to light a candle because it reminds us should have pre-done this. Yeah. It reminds us. I'm going to have my, my ushers come up. It reminds us. 
that though we just present one light together, we have the ability to literally light the world. Man, I did not rehearse this. There we go. Awesome. For years, I did services in a school where they didn't let me play with fire. So it's exciting to play with fire. I'm smiling just with fire. What I'd love for you to do, would you stand? And, and, and I'm going to pray, and then the ushers are going to pass their light around. And then we're just going to celebrate. We're going to sing one more time, Come Let Us Adore Him. But we're going to sing it fun because I want us to recognize that this rescue mission was for us. And so we can celebrate and we can enjoy. And if your candle being lit today is just a reminder that everywhere you go this season, you're that light, you're that beacon of hope, you're the rescue mission, you're the plan. That's awesome. Be the plan. If lighting your light today is just an invitation to say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. I've been unwilling, but today I'm willing. My prayer for you is that this would become an anniversary for you of a time when you said finally to God, I'm willing, I'm willing. I've been unwilling today. Now listen, I gotta say one thing. For some of you, you're like, I still have a ton of questions. Awesome, awesome. It's okay to start with it. I have a ton of questions. We all have a ton of questions. The questions are not the issue. The issue is, are you willing to take a step of faith and say, all right, God, let's do this. You say that you sent your son on a rescue mission for me. Let's see what that means for me. Let me pray. God, thank you that you sent your son into this world. And that light is the light of the world. And then, Lord, you looked at us and you said, now we're the light of the world. A city on a hill, it can't be hidden. God, this body, this church is the light of the world. We're part. Oh, God. I think about all over the world today, men and women coming together to celebrate the birth of your son because of what it means that light came into the world and no amount of darkness could ever overcome light. I pray for those that have been trapped, that have felt that they've been locked in the bubble. I pray for the power and, and, and the, the, the display of your love that you came to rescue us. I pray for those of us that have come on. We've been unavailable. We've just been unaware. We've missed it. Would you remind us in Jesus' name?